when people ask me even today is like how can I get started and I'm like just start knocking some doors you know that's if right. you don't have if you don't want to invest a lot of money that and that's what we did we eventually built up the team to hire some canvassers some um, home show help and support 2019 we did just under six million 2020 we did just under seven and then uh 2022 we were right around the same eight nine million range and then we had a big year uh 2023 so you guys will most likely clear roughly 20 million yeah our top line will be just under 20 million that's incredible Alrighty, so today I have Vazgen Dalakian. Vazgen has accomplished a lot in his entrepreneurial journey, but most importantly, he's a man of faith, a husband, a father. He's a co-founder and CEO of Kobex Construction Group, a rapidly growing construction and roofing brand out of California that will exceed $20 million in 2023. He's a leader in the roofing industry, and he's only been in business for five short years. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Appreciate having you. Pleasure to be here. Yep. Yep. So we're going to dig into your story, kind of see how you've done this. So walk, take me back to the beginning. So you guys launched this business um, five, six years ago. What was the first year? Yeah. So we incorporated in 2017, right around September, and uh, we were just getting things set up and we really hit the ground running uh, January 2020, uh, 2018. 2018. Okay, cool. And then you have a partner in the business? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Dimitri's my partner. Okay, cool. Okay, so what were you doing before this? Were you doing sales? In a way, I was. I was a personal trainer. Um, okay. So I was going to school at the time. I was studying to be uh, a physical therapist, and uh, I figured, you know, personal training, I'd get some experience, and uh, I did that. And I had a you know book of clients that I would see, and I had a small studio that I would train out of, you know, right by my house, kind of situated very conveniently. I love doing it. Um, you know, I had great clients. I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, but I, I knew I knew I wanted to explore business more. And, and I was looking to tr- at a transition because um, when I started my physical therapy program, um, the the early part of it and just shadowing, I realized uh, this is not going to be it for me uh, because it, it was more to kind of check a box for a career because my parents as an immigrant, you know, they, they want their kid go get a formal education, mm-hmm. you know, a good career. And it seemed, it seemed safe, but, uh, uh me and safe are not, mm-hmm. <laughs> not aligned. Not aligned. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I wasn't into safe. I, you know, I wanted, I wanted to take a risk. I wanted to go into business and, um, and, and one thing led to another, but uh, I always liked real estate. I always liked being around homes and, um, this opportunity came up and I, and I took a chance on it. Yeah. So what did your, what was your parents response when you said, I'm, I'm going to be an entrepreneur? Were they shocked? <laughs> well, yes, because, you know, I was already in the master's program and, uh, I just, uh, at the time I was dating my, my now, my now wife. And, uh, I remember she was just like, Foz, why are you, why are you doing this? I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you know, it's not you, you know, you're just, the, the school thing she can, and, and it was just so contrary to what I've heard before because mm-hmm. everyone you know from growing up it's like no one went to college around me I had no mentors yep. and here I am and you know I'm in a master's program feeling pretty good about myself and then the girl I'm dating is like why are you doing this which mm-hmm. is just so but she just felt it you know she knew that um, that wasn't me and I knew it too deep down mm-hmm. inside so luckily it was still early in the uh, the semester and I was able to get a full reimbursement on my tuition so oh, nice nice uh, but yeah 
that 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 um, I, I decided to pull out and then uh, you know get into get into this business. Mm-hmm. A good woman will call you to a higher standard. So that's awesome. That's awesome. So talk to me through. So you partnered with your current partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how did roofing and well it's Kobex Construction Group, right? So you guys do roofing, siding, windows, windows exteriors. Okay. exteriors. Yeah, the reason we chose Kobex um, Construction Group is because at first we we wanted to just serve you know in the home improvement space and. Yep. We didn't have a specific, um, you know, we wanted to keep uh, an open book of jobs that we can take whatever we needed to do to get the job done. And in the beginning, you know, we're starting out and, you know, we we have no formal experience in this type of business. We had some experience dealing in remodels, renovations, my partners even more than I. I had some working on some projects with my dad. But, um, you know, we, we pretty much started just whatever leads we can get let's turn it around let's mm-hmm. let's let's get the job done and then let's go from there and so pretty much that's what we did in the beginning and group was just to keep it broad yeah. where it can take us wherever we need to go yeah but eventually and we can get into it we decided to specialize okay and so you still you were a general contractor at first yes yeah okay. yes okay and then so when you first started out, how did you get your first client? What was like the the first job you sold? Yeah, so first we just bought leads, man. It was like a home advisor, um, Angie's list. I think they had at the time. Uh, they may have changed the name now, and um, it was just a you know we we're buying leads. Mm-hmm. So how much did you put into the business to get it started? Do you remember? Yeah, actually, um, I remember it, it, it was less than five thousand dollars so collectively and that was mostly just to buy leads um to help to pay for the website which i paid i think a thousand dollars to to a friend uh to help the website you know because you need to have a professional appearance right oh yeah big time and uh, i remember in the beginning you know a lot of even like the branding and stuff was just um how could we appear that we're a bigger company than we are it was just trying to give that impression that we're we're legitimate you know the website was one of the first things that you can do to show that you're legitimate (laughs) totally totally so yeah so yeah we just pretty much you know snowballed it from there Mm -hmm. and what did you do at first were you sales or i was I came on as a, you know, as a partner to, to do the sales side of it, but I quickly yeah. learned that marketing is very connected to sales. Yeah. And so I realized, Hey, before the sale has to happen, I need to get in front of people. So that that's where marketing pretty much took the dominance in the beginning, working on the brand and then getting the, you know, directories up on Google, Yelp, you know, all of those uh, mm-hmm. accounts set up yeah. and uh, the website and everything. So uh, I, I spent uh, the early six months mostly in marketing and then I started getting into sales. And then that's where I realized that, you know, sales is definitely my thing. And, you know, I, I, I took charge of kind of creating the sales um, team and the process and everything. I love it. I love yeah. it. Okay. So when you guys, uh, 2018 was your first year in business. What was the growth track? Like, what did you do in 2018, 19, 20? Yeah, so we had a we had a really good year, you know, starting with me and at the time there's three partners and, um, you know, me in sales and marketing and them in production. Uh, we hired um, an assistant because we got busy after we started, you know, getting some uh, momentum. In the beginning, we were pretty much everything. Like mm-hmm. you'd call and I'd be like, you know, the receptionist, I'd be the door knocker, mm-hmm. you know, I'd be out there, you know, pounding the pavement, you know, getting clients and so is my partner. And, um, you know, that was, that was a very cost effective way for us to get started. Just door knocking. It doesn't cost much, you know, you just need to, you know, humble yourself and get out there and start knocking doors. But, you know, when people ask me even today is like, how can I get started? And I'm like, start knocking some doors, you know, if you don't have, if you don't want to invest a lot of money that, and that's what we did. Um, but, but yeah, from there we, uh, hired a receptionist and, um, and then we, 
we started to take more leads and then realized, hey, we probably need another salesperson, hired somebody. Mm -hmm. uh, but we were mostly doing the sales, my partner and I. Okay. Um, and we eventually built up the team to hire some canvassers, some um, home show help and support. So 2018, we did just under $4 million. And which was a massive first year for us, yeah, yeah, coming from like no experience. And then uh, 2019, we did just under six million. 2020, we did just under seven. 2021, we did uh, just under eight. And then uh, 2022, um, we were right around the same eight nine million range. And then we had a big year. Uh, 2023. Okay. So okay. this is where things just really started to shape just for us. The, the, yeah. the growth really yeah. took a big So you guys will degree. most likely clear roughly 20 million. Yeah. Our year? top line will be just under 20 million. That's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. In five, six years, six years. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. So you talked about just starting, right? I think a lot of entrepreneurs in their early stages or even people that want to be an entrepreneur, yeah. they just overthink that first step, right? And like, so talk to me about the speed to action and what that's meant for you. You know, I think taking action and not overcomplicating things, especially in the beginning, is 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 huge. Yeah. I think a lot of credit that I give it to, the, the naivety coming into it, not knowing much. I didn't have much to overthink, right? I literally read um, uh, E-Myth, yeah. revisited mm -hmm. E-Myth, it just got the concept of systems. Okay, we got to create systems because we're trying to create a business. You know, we're not trying to be self-employed. My partners were self-employed in their property preservation business. I was self-employed as a personal trainer. Objective was to create a business with systems and operations that run on its own. Mm -hmm. That became clear that that's what, what the goal was. So the vision became more solidified after reading that book. And then I got inspired by guys like Grant Cardone in the beginning, 10X, you know, mm -hmm. just really motivated. Um, we went to his conference. Uh, we had uh, somebody that was doing home improvement uh, type sales uh, and marketing type business in San Diego, friend of my partners. Um, and so I, I talked to Dimitri and I said, hey, these guys are doing a great job. Sounds like would they be willing for us to go out and talk to them and, you know, kind of see what they're doing? Mm -hmm. And uh, they agreed, you know, and I, I always give them credit, you know, Mike and uh, and Simon from Project Eco down in San Diego. They I give them a lot of credit for just, you know, letting us come and shadow them. And, and you know, they they helped us kind of launch and give us uh, an idea of where to start. And once that light bulb went off, you know, we had a better vision of how this thing should should move forward. That's amazing. So e when did you read E-Myth? Was it 2018? It was 2017. Tw so, so it was, it was before right before, before we started. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you kind of went into it with the right mindset. A lot of entrepreneurs, they'll start a business and then they're like, oh my gosh, now I'm self-employed, but I have way too many jobs yeah. and I have to backtrack. So you guys kind of did it the right way. You understood, obviously there's mistakes along the way and yeah. we'll get into that. But, um, but at least you had the infrastructure mindset in place, which I think has enabled you guys probably to scale as quick as you have. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So talk to me about some of the failures along the way, right? Things that you've had to overcome. Was it early on in your journey? Was it recently? What are some of the, the things you remember throughout, you know, the short journey so far of, of, of missteps along the way? Yeah. I mean, early on, we just, you don't know what you don't know, right? So you take on trades and um, you're doing anything from, you know, landscaping to a sprinkler system, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're repairing some, you know, framing issues that's happening in the garage and then you're doing patio covers and you're kind of all over the place, right? And we're, you know, we're very, uh, we, we were very roll up your sleeves, get to work, figure it out. You know, we were good. 
um, yeah, figuring those things out along the way. But we realized that the more trades we were doing, um, the more bottleneck constraints it was causing. A lot of it was coming on my partner, Dimitri, to find out who can he find, what sub, and how can they get it done, how much, what's the price going to be. So you, there's no structure in pricing yeah. and uh, training process. And for me in sales, I created a lot of uh, difficulty in trying to scale all those different mm -hmm. services and train the, train the team. And so I realized that, hey, although we're selling and we're turning over and we're doing good and customers, we're keeping them happy, this isn't really scalable because our, the processes for all of these trades are not there yet. And that's when we started feeling the constraints and the issues. Yeah. And that's when we realized, hey, this isn't sustainable. We cannot do all of these without creating these uh, better training processes and you know focusing. And then the marketing was kind of all over the place as well. It was just like... 18 different trades on a on a on the flyer mm -hmm. i mean i'm ex up to i remember i once count once counted 32 trades that were on the flyer i was like this needs to be cut down and so we slowly did after that that was you know those bottleneck those constraints difficulty in training salespeople, you know uh, production you know constraints and 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 getting those jobs priced and everything like that that was so do you think um when did you guys make the decision to pivot towards mainly just roofing was it recently or yeah it was right before covid we were talking about it and um you know so we knew into like flooring you know especially when someone's living in the house there's so many moving parts you know that was one of them um, that we wanted to take out and kitchens and baths was you know a good chunk of the revenue so it was difficult like because you're mm -hmm. you're looking at your spreadsheet and you're like hey man kitchens and bath is bringing in like 30 to 40 percent of the business and when it's raining it's continued work and so it's hard to to, to make that call you yeah. know because you're like where am i gonna you're struggling in a sense that you're month to month you know we're not in the red we're luckily in the black the whole time you know as we're growing but it's not that we have this amazing cushion where we can mm -hmm. last you know months and then figure it out we have to make it make it work that month so it was difficult to, to cut that out but uh, we decided to cut out interiors, and what helped us was COVID. Yeah. When COVID came, it was, hey, we don't know what's going to happen. For sure, we can't get into the house. All right, stop taking interior trades effective immediately. We're going to be on the outside. We don't even need to see the customer. And that really helped us launch only exteriors. Yeah. Do you think that's been a part, like focusing in on niching down of what's getting you to 20 million this year? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Big time, yeah, because uh, now my marketing was focused you know, mostly roofing. That's where we found we were doing most of our successes in roofing. Mm -hmm. The processes, the systems, the training was really dialed in in our brand and our even people back then, they, they thought we were a roofing company because that's what they would see. And so we're like, hey, our, our brand is kind of already synonymous with roofing. And so yeah. but we liked, you know, some of the other exterior trades like siding and windows. So the marketing efforts became more um, concentrated. And I, I made a decision, and this is another one of those chances you take, right? So in 2022, I remember going into 2023, I was like, hey, I don't know what to expect from what I hear from the peer groups that I'm in and everybody is like, the recession is upon us. Things are going to get slow. Be prepared. Start making some layoffs. And I just, my gut was just like, let's, let's, um, you know, let's, let's lean in into, into this, this marketing of the exteriors and let's build up the sales team. So we did. Yeah. We decided to, to do more media to do more marketing and to build up the sales team. And then that's when I put um, my sales manager, David, yeah. full-time into the sales position and um, uh, allowed him to really just be focused on that one thing. And it allowed me to start focusing on other things like marketing, uh, CRM, processes, you know, and, and our two new locations that we're launching 
uh, we did a soft launch. So it helped me to work on the business even more, not having to manage mm -hmm. the sales reps. What are those two locations that you guys recently launched in? We did a soft launch in Boise. Okay. And so uh, right now is the winter season. So it's probably going to start up again around February. Right now we're in December. And we did a soft launch in Fresno this month. In fact, um, so we're hitting the ground running in Fresno mm -hmm. in January. Yeah. So what was that transition like? Because we have similar stories. I did all the sales in the very beginning. What was it like getting out of that and giving that up? That was the hardest thing for me is giving up control of sales. It was hard. I'll tell you because um, I, uh, I that was kind of everything I did uh, for the most part in the first five years. I mean, when I say everything, I you know there was there's a lot of other moving parts and stuff, but I just felt like that was my main thing that I had yeah. to focus on and and do. And I so, but I knew um, I knew I needed uh, to to give that position to David because he was ripe and ready for it. And, um, and I knew I needed to focus on the business as a whole. So David came in as an assistant sales manager and, um, he would help, you know, for, uh, trainings and one-on-ones and different things like that. And then eventually it was just like, all right, here you are, you know, it's all yours. And I just stepped back completely. Yeah, yeah. And I was there for support, anything that was needed, but I just let him run the show yeah. and he would run the meetings and man, I'd just sit there. I'd be so proud. I'd just watch him just command the room and just the respect that the guys had for him and, how well how well he was doing and and I was just incredibly proud I was just I'll just sit there quietly and because I'd still go to the meetings yeah but I'll just watch you mm -hmm. know and uh it was just it, it it was well worth it you know it was scary but it was worth it just being able to do that that's awesome so he started out in sales and then and then grew into the sales yeah. manager role yeah yeah he, he came on board um you know and uh we had a five-year plan of what it would look like and we you know we mapped it out together and, uh, you know, that was, part of it was leading the sales team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how, how pivotal has, cause he's VP of sales now or yeah. So how pivotal has bringing him on been to the success of your company? Well, it's been huge. I mean, you know, he's my right hand man, you know, when it comes to, um, what I do, obviously there's a whole side of the business production operations. And now I'm, I feel like my hat's been kind of more switched to productions, operations and processes mm -hmm. because now that we have the sales, the marketing pretty much figured out, you know, the process, the training, I feel like my, my most important role right now will be to really make sure that production operations has the full, um, you know, support, like the foundation, right? So mm -hmm. labor, we went all in-house. We used to be subcontracting our jobs and we built an in-house team and, you know, we have seven crews and we're on our way to 10 in-house crews building the infrastructure there and then just the CRM, you know, the processes, um, internally and stuff. So that's, so that way now I know that that foundation is strong mm -hmm. and we hired to keep people, we hired, just hired an operations manager for, for, uh, for production and, um, an accounting, um, uh, project accounting, uh, manager. And so hiring those key people in to make sure that we're going to be able to sustain the amount of growth, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that that's, where the focus is right now. I love me. it. Okay. So who in the ownership group is the visionary? Would you say that's you like kind of pushing the envelope? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's kind of the role I've taken from the beginning. Yeah. Just kind of setting the vision, you know, uh, where we want to go, even locations, uh, marketing, messaging, you know, mm -hmm. sales yeah. uh, and that. Yeah. Did you always, did you think you would achieve 20 million in, in five, five, six short years? Honestly, I was always pretty ambitious of okay. the goals, setting big goals. And, um, but I did not, uh, I did not think we would hit 20 million this year. Yeah. The goal was 14 million. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we overachieved. The, we the goal was 14 million this year, cutting because we're like, hey, if we can cut back trades, yeah. 
and still be at the same sales or even a little bit more, that'd be awesome, right? But, um, you know, being able to double and cutting back all those trades was just, I couldn't have imagined that that would happen like that. That's incredible. So what, um, what is your guys' five, 10 year play? Like what, what do you want to do over the next five to 10 years? Yeah. So right now it's obviously we're trying to go regional, um, you know, with Fresno, um, and, uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to why Idaho happened later, but with Fresno, just going regional and hopefully there'll be an opportunity to kind of take a little bit more territory and, you know, even San Jose. Mm-hmm. And, um, the goal is to go regional and then go national, you know? And, um, I, I think of it in terms of, um, being able to hit a certain EBITDA, for example, because profitability, you know, as a company, as a construction company, as you know, um, it's mm-hmm. not the highest in, 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 in the in the market you know so there's a lot of costs you know project managers are expensive crms marketing is expensive and so you really have to watch your numbers and make sure you stay profitable and even in roofing with workers comp and insurance and liability um you know you have to factor all that in and and then if you don't have your accounting and your finances in order you know then you can get into a lot of trouble and uh because things cost and in an economy of scale you know those things can add up really quickly that's right so that's it's right. just more of an ebitda goal yeah and that ebitda number is 10 million 10 million okay yeah, within the next what do you five feel years. like you'll have to hit top line to, to achieve that uh i want to stay double digits in net so you know the minimum would be 10 percent. okay so, so 100, 100 million, million. Yeah. yeah yeah you know if, if if i'm if i'm more profitable then maybe i can pull it off at 80 million you yeah. know just depends on how profitable we are able to stay that's right okay so so you talked about, are you in the Bay Area right now or is it just Sacramento? Just Sacramento. Sacramento, Fresno, and Boise. Yeah. Um, so what was the reason for Boise? Why did you guys choose Boise as a market? Remember I said uh, we went to San Diego and um, yes. you know we had some somebody to learn from. So their their business uh, didn't survive. They they made some you know early rookie mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they over leveraged um, their. Uh, accounting, uh, in, not accounting, but they're purchasing, you know, some HOA or uh, a big complex one under and they were out on so much material. Mm. Um, and uh, it just, it, it, it really crushed them early on, you know, that big mistake, that was one of them. And so they, the two partners kind of just went off into their own direction. And um, one of, one of, and somehow they eventually both ended up in Boise, I wow. think through their church or whatever. And then, um, so I call up Mike and, you know, I'm like, Hey, how you doing here? You're in Boise. Yes. Um, how's it going? Just checking in because I like to stay in touch and stuff. And then he calls me back and he's like, Hey, have you ever thought about maybe setting up a location here? I was like, it f- funny enough, you know, we did have that kind of a conversation cause we knew it was a growing city, but, um, didn't really consider it cause I don't have anybody to send there. And he's like, well, um, I, I, I don't need the money. You know, he's, he does trading and different things like that. He's like, but I'm bored. Mm-hmm. I need something to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, maybe I can help launch the location. You know, I can help, uh, you know, get some sales guys going and just help out with whatever I can on my end. Mm-hmm. And so I looked at it and I'm like, well, it's not going to be a huge risk for us to take this on. And I, I trust him and I know he knows what he's doing. So I just decided to mm-hmm. uh, take a chance on it. So yeah. that just kind of happened like that coincidentally. And you guys launched that this year, 2023? Yeah, we launched it in, uh, I think, like August or September, I want to say. So we did a couple jobs uh, in November, and then that's when the slowdown mm-hmm. with the snow and stuff kind of just yeah. You know, things so you can't really even sell right now, huh? No. You have to kind of pause selling and, and install. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's really like a nine month out of the year uh, type market. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what um, what are some key things in this journey? You talked about reading. You talked about going to conferences. How big has personal development been in your journey? 
I mean, personally, I would say, you know, it's one of our core values, mm -hmm. you know, self-improvement. Because you want to you wanna work on yourself first and foremost to be able to give to anybody else or give to others, right? You want to develop yourself as an individual. So for me, I always led by example, mm -hmm. whether it was reading, um, you know, going to seminars, uh, you know, conferences, and just talking to people like you, you know, talking mm -hmm. to people who have done it, you know, and just picking their brains and mentorship yeah. and peer groups. And so... Um, self-development, personal growth is, is a core value of ours. And the second one was just, you know, to, to find a way to add value, you know, mm -hmm. bringing something to the table, yeah. you know, seek to add some value. And so I think that's been one of the main, you know, uh, reasons for our success yeah. is because yeah. of that mentality. Just, mm -hmm. you know, always just stay hungry, stay humble, you know. Mm -hmm. I always ask that to every guest and it's yeah. similar. I, I, I like doing this podcast now yeah. because I feel like I'm learning, right? Mm -hmm. I'm picking your brain. I'm picking entrepreneurs' brains that have achieved things at the highest level. And there hasn't been one person I've interviewed. It's only, I don't know, five or six so far. Mm -hmm. But nobody has said personal development means nothing. It's mm -hmm. such a big key to everybody's success, Absolutely. right? And just reading, developing, growing, having a, hun a hunger to expand, yes. right? I think that's one of the biggest things. So you talked about reaching 100 million, 10 million EBITDA. Yeah. What's this? The, you said 10 years, five years? Five years. Five years. Yeah, okay. so we have four, four more years to go. Okay. I love it. I love it. I, I, I look at things in five-year runs. You know, like when, when we first started, I said, okay, the first five years will... In, in this e-myth model, you know, that we talked about of creating systems and yeah. it's to create a business that it can operate, that if I need to go on vacation, my business is not going on vacation. Mm -hmm. yeah. That was the goal. Yep. And so we, we've accomplished that. And so now that we got to that and the next, next for me was, okay, well, what's the next five years? Mm -hmm. Well, can I scale this, yeah. you know, and, and what does that look like? And that's where, you know, and I, and that's why I have numbers, you know, it's 10 million EBITDA, hundred million in sales. Okay. How many locations is that going to take? We'll look at it. You know, it could be six, it could be five, you know, it may be a little bit more or less. So, mm -hmm. but whatever it takes. And so it, it the numbers are kind of like a, um, you know, a, a guide, a, 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 like a compass, like a, you know, something to pull us towards and stuff, a goal to kind of set in place, you know, it's a measurable yeah. thing. But I think it's mostly just scaling this successfully. Yeah. If I can scale it successfully, then I know we have a system and a process that works similar to what you guys have done. Yeah. You know, now with yeah. your multiple locations, you're like, hey, we have a system, we have a process. Yeah. And I love doing this, too, because, you know, maybe I'll have some time later to pick your brain and, mm -hmm. you know, how you guys were able to scale it to the level you did and That's what right. that looked like. But, yeah. uh, you know, just these conversations and just looking at and talking to other people. Another one was uh, Apple Roofing out of Nebraska. I met them at a roofing conference. Uh, two great guys. Unfortunately, one of the partners passed away oh, wow. in a, a plane accident, you know, but uh, Dustin and Marcus, you know, just great, great guys. And they opened up their doors and they said, hey, come stop by any time. So I'm like, hey, I'd love to bring my partners and come mm -hmm. see your plant. They're doing 40 million. And, wow. um, you know, they had a few locations and they just showed us their process, their operation, you know, they showed us what they're doing. And that's when he started to talk to me about mergers and acquisitions mm -hmm. and acquiring other roofing companies. Yeah. And that's where my curiosity kind of came in. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, I, I can see a vision towards that of being able to grow by even acquiring smaller totally. companies and yeah. putting your processes into place. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge way. And that's, I feel like 
a lot of times because getting from zero to two million or zero to five million, that's the hardest part, right? Once you're past that, I feel like that's the easier part to scale. Nothing's easy, but that beginning part of getting the first customers, you have no systems, no processes, no way to acquire customers. That's the hardest part. So when you acquire companies that have already done that yeah. and gotten past that, it's easier to put them into your ecosystem and then scale them. Yeah. And, and what's nice is too, is if you go into private equity and you look at valuations and you know, you're looking at multipliers, you coming in and putting your process, your system, your bigger brand, your umbrella company increases the valuation of the company you're purchasing, you know, too. So, which is nice. And, um, it's kind of like, you know, I joke around with that, like, hey, you know, you, you, you do, we started kind of like flipping cars, right? We would buy them, fix them up and sell them. And then we're like, well, let, let's do houses. They're bigger than cars, you know, and they're a little bit more exciting. And it's like, we can fix this house up. We can remodel it. We can sell it. But then like, well, what if we can do that with businesses? That's right. That's the game. You know, I'm like, what yeah. if you can do that with businesses? And that was mm -hmm. like even more exciting because there's so much more moving parts. And, but the, there's a lot more risk, but with the, the upside potential. Totally. Yeah. You know? And then it's infinitely scalable, right? Yeah. yeah. That's the biggest thing. Okay. So next five to 10 years, you guys want to grow to a hundred million. Um, what are some things you do for fun? Do you do you travel a lot? What are some things you do for fun? I love traveling. Um, it seems like my wife and I, we, that's where we get most of our, you know, real quality time with the family, um, with each other. And so I love taking in new experiences. I just came back from Japan. I did a mission trip there. My pastor invited me to go with him, which was the first time I've done something like that. Mm -hmm. And I was just like thinking, oh, it's really busy right now. I don't know if I can, if, if I can, and, and something inside it was like, no, just, just go, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I'm like, okay. I, I went and uh, I found myself just really re um, putting another, putting perspective on, you mm -hmm. know, the important things again in yeah. life. And, and, and I was thinking about family relationship you know, you know, the, the, the things that matter the most mm -hmm. and, and kind of give me a different perspective on our company and our business and where we're going to. That's why I like to travel, you know, it really gives me perspective. Yeah. I take in different cultures, different experiences. Yeah. Uh, it's a really big part of, you know, uh, my journey and stuff and, uh, in learning, I love reading, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, uh, if I can just escape for a couple hours, go to the Bay in the summer when it's hot, mm -hmm. you know, go up to the mountains, um, during the winter or, you know, I'll, those are the main things that I, yeah. I as you know, when you're when you're, you're in a startup, you know when you you're running a business, time is limited, so mm -hmm. you have to, you know, try to manage those things as best as you can. That's right. That's right. And you got to escape sometimes because if you don't escape, you're just always in the rat race. Exactly. So it's good to get perspective outside of the day to day. I feel like for visionaries, uh, that's very important. Yeah. You know, for most people it is too, but you know, perspective is everything, and sometimes yeah. you need to get out of that day to day environment. Mm -hmm. You know, to kind of. Um, put perspective on things again because mm -hmm. it'll suck you in and it's just like you're just in just the grind in the day to day yeah. Yeah. yeah which is fun that's what I love doing yeah. but you do need to be able to step outside you know and, and be able to see where you're going absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. so um so obviously faith, family, business, mm -hmm. is, is Cobex it for you, like long-term? Or do you, th do you feel like you talked about private equity, you talked about other things? I, I, you know, I try not to tie my identity to any particular yeah. thing, even Cobex. I love Cobex. Um, I feel like, you know, it's, it's, it's my baby, you know. Mm. Uh, I, not, not that it's not my partner's baby, too. It is. I'm sure he feels the same way about it. But, um, but at the same time, um, I don't want to take ownership and identity over it like – I feel like more of a steward, mm -hmm. kind of like this company has been gifted to me by yeah, God yeah. and I need to steward it well. And I just feel like a manager, I'm mm -hmm. managing this company. 
what the future for this company holds, it's to be determined. I, I just know where I want to get it to mm -hmm. in five years. Um, I don't want to be married to the brand or the identity of the company because I don't want to take the ego or the pride, mm -hmm. you know, that, hey, this is me or I did this. Yeah. I just want to be in that position of a, stu uh, of a steward, servant. I did my role. I put the right people in place. I did what's in the best interest of the company. I, you know, and I, I managed it well. Mm -hmm. And then whatever comes in the next five years, you know, um, obviously I have those goals with private equity, with, um, you know, going into, um, you know, working on businesses and, mm -hmm. and, you know, I always loved real estate. So maybe there's going to be an aspect yeah. of that in my future too, but yeah, yeah, that's yeah. awesome, man. That's awesome. So how many employees does Kovacs have now? So we're going to be probably just under 60 now. Just we, under we, did, 60. we did a few key hires and, uh, yeah, we'll be just under 60. That's amazing. Yeah. So what do you think? Um, and that's with doing everything in house, all of the installs, or is it a blended approach still? Um, it's, I would say 75, 80% in house, okay. uh, on the roofing side, we still use uh, subs for, uh, windows and siding. Mm -hmm. Um, but we are going to experiment with bringing some in house for those trades as well. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Just the efficiency, the speed, the margins. Mm -hmm. Is that, is that the reason for it? It's mostly just control quality control with the in-house. It's actually cheaper to sub out, you know, because yeah. with roofing, it's very expensive with insurances, liabilities, and then you get to different coat, like insurances now that you're in-house and especially if you're um, looking at doing, you know, uh, new construction. Now you're on the hook for 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're a part of that build. And so there's things like that you really have to consider, um, if you're going to do it the right way, which I recommend you do, mm -hmm. um, then, uh, then you realize that, Hey, this is just more for control customer experience. And I think that this journey that we're taking, you know, in this next, um, you know, several years is going to be to obsess over the customer experience. Yeah. Like that is going to be the main focus. Mm -hmm. And so us, you know, uh, bringing on a new CRM, you know, trying to stay in communication with the customer, giving them visibility of their projects, making sure we check out in on them, having site coordinators at every job, just creating that, you know, experience for mm -hmm. the customer that they, they have that peace of mind yeah, and they know that they're being, you know, uh, uh, they're having that level of communication is something that we really want to strive for mm -hmm. because we realize that, that, that ultimately is gonna, um, you know, be in the best interest for them and for us long term. That's right. Yeah. So um, in house was mostly for that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and there's a lot to consider if you want to make that decision. And I don't suggest one or the other. I think yeah. both are good. And especially starting out, sub subcontracting was the way to go. Yeah. But um, yeah. 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 And I think a lot of times scaling a company one of the easiest ways to do it is customers telling other customers, Yeah. right? So if you have to pay for every single customer forever, that's unscalable that way. You have to have a great customer experience so then they can refer you to other clients and then you don't have to pay for those leads, pay, you know, the whole process of getting new customers. It's just a way yes. to really scale, you know? I agree completely. I mean, you know, your, your customer should be your best advocate, right? And when I look at the lead sources and I look and see that referrals, self-generated uh, uh, leads in the website was the top three sources, I was like, okay, we're doing something right. That's right. This is good because those don't cost us, doesn't cost us much. Yeah. You know, maybe we'll do some referral uh, bonuses and, and, and things like that for customers referring us, but really it keeps our marketing dollars low, yeah. you know, and now yeah. we can be more profitable and deliver more value to the customer not having to spend, yep. you know, 10, 15% of our gross, um, revenue on marketing, which some, you know, companies have to, mm -hmm. you know, if I can do that with five or less percent, 
you know, that's seven, 10% is big that's huge. <laughs> to the bottom line, yeah. you yeah. know, and how do you do that? Well, you know, referrals, mm-hmm. self gens, you know, um, you know, creating promoters, having your customers promote for you, working on, you know, there's, there's totally. different ways yeah. we can, we can yeah. do a whole episode on that, yeah. but, but I completely agree with you. Yeah. 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 The affiliates and then customers telling other customers yeah. are huge. It's giant. So what does your marketing look like today? Do you have it in house? Do you outsource to somebody? What does that look like? Yeah. So we don't like, I, I'm kind of like the general manager when it comes to marketing. So mm-hmm. I have a lot of, you know, uh, I work with radio. I work with, you know, billboard companies. I work with Facebook, um, you know, ad creators. I have a Google team. Mm-hmm. Um, then we'll do flyers, mailers, home. Sh- uh, we don't do home shows anymore, but, um, you know, different avenues. Um, mm-hmm. And so I kind of just quarterback it. Yeah, I quarterback it. Yep. Exactly. I have a CRM. I have everything I need to measure. I look at the ROI and, in, you know, inquiry appointments, sales. I look at the numbers. Uh, I've, you know, data's helped me a lot from the beginning, just yeah. being able to measure. Now, you know, you can't manage what you can't measure. Mm-hmm. So being able to measure the ROI and give it some time and have a strategy, you know, mm-hmm. like, well, how long do you want to give it to see if it's going to work or not? That's right. What, what, what are you willing to commit? Because if you buy it for a month and you're like, hey, this isn't working, maybe maybe in the second or third month it'll it'll mm-hmm. pop off, you know? So yeah. you, you don't know unless you commit to some at That's least. That's right. Especially with Time our product, frame. like, yeah. you know, we sell ADUs. Yeah. I mean, our sales cycle can be 30 to 60, even 90 days. Yeah. So if we commit to an ad campaign and then we cut it off in 30 days, we don't know the results, yeah. right? Because our sales cycle is not really as much of a one-sit close. Mm-hmm. We have some of that. Right. But most of the time, it's it's a drawn-out process because they have to go get a HELOC and they have oh, to get a, financing. Yeah, your ticket item. What's your average ticket item? Yeah, $200,000. Yeah, yeah, our average ticket item is $20,000. That's right. So, <clears throat> you know, ours, we do try to do a one-call close, but in a way where it's a consultative approach, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of our sales does come after the second, third uh, you know, visit, uh, so to speak, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's a call over the phone or them giving them time to kind of breathe and think about it. Yep. But we do, you know, we, we have an upfront contract, yep. you know, and I think that's been really helpful for us too. And it's transparent. It's like, you're the customer. And I say, Hey Colton, you know, thank you for calling us over today. Um, today I have three things in mind. Number one, I want to make sure, you know, we're going to be able to solve the issue that you're having. Number two, I'm going to present, you know, the option of what it will look like for us to get it done, what products we'll use. And lastly, we'll see if we can make it affordable for you today. And if everything checks out, we'd love to earn your business today. Does that that sound fair? And sometimes it could be like a, you know, some people will get uncomfortable asking Mm -hmm. that question. Like, I don't want to tell them that I'm going to ask them for the sale today, but you are. Yeah. And better to get that out of the way in the beginning. Yeah. Because if they say no or, you know. Yeah, because the worst they could say is no, I'm going to think about it. That's fine. You can think about it. You know, no problem. And but, but, But now if in their mind they're like, hey, everything checks out. You're kind of, you know, they're going through the process. They're like, no, I like this. I like this. I like that. Well, they're, they're going to ask if I want to do it today. You know, they're, they're probably pre-closing in a way, um, you know, uh, some of that during the appointment versus trying to just, okay, now that we've done all this, now they're just, their guards back up, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it does help, and but it's always a consultative approach. Let's provide uh, in your information, a plan, an option. And, um, and, and that's, that seems to work really well. Yeah. What yeah. is your average uh, close ratio with your sales team? So about 33% across okay. the line is, wow. is, is average. Um, you'll have superstars. Like I think when David was in the game, he was doing uh, over 50%. Mm-hmm. I was doing over 50%. For a long time, I was leading the sales team for like the first, I would say, three and a half, four years, mm-hmm. you know. And then uh, David came and, uh, you know, I, he, he, uh, he took command of that and, mm-hmm. you know, set some new precedents. Yeah. 
um, you know, did some amazing things and then, you know, inspired a lot of guys as mm -hmm. well to come and do that. And, yeah. um, but yeah, up 33% across the board. That's really good. Yeah. yeah. And how many of those are one sit versus follow up? 50%. Okay. Half the time it's a one sit, half the time it's a follow up. And so the follow up is king. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, we have to um, have a good process and we did, we changed our sales process mm -hmm. from having just outside reps to inside outside sales process for, for a few reasons. Um, <clears throat> the first was uh, to make sure that we gathered all the information, prepared the estimate with the most detail that we can, and made sure that when it's turned in, it, the production is going to have everything that they need because mm -hmm. the inside rep, you know, sees to that. The outside rep, when he goes out there, his job is just to present, you know, get a little bit more information that couldn't be collected before the visit, like because um, we do satellite views of the roof and everything, so yeah. we can kind of get most of it. But there's some details, like if it's two layers or other things like that that they'll check off and then um and then we if they're able to close that deal they'll close it if not you know it'll come back into the inside sales reps um you know in the pipeline and they'll continue to work on it until it's time for them uh until they get to a decision so it's kind of a it's combined partnership so you guys separate the two so you have the one sit closers and then you have an inside sales team that does the follow-up yeah very interesting. That's mm -hmm. that's a good idea. We yeah. got to think about that. What, what made you do that change? Looking at the pipeline, man, you look at the pipeline and you're looking at all the jobs that are just haven't been touched and they're just sitting there yeah. and, you know, guys are busy. They they say they'll get to it. You know how it is. Oh, yeah. I'll get to it. And then eventually you look at it and it's been 30 days and there's been no communication. It, it, it happens. Yeah. You know, it happens with the amount of jobs you're running, the amount mm -hmm. of leads that you're running. So a lot gets left on the table. Mm -hmm. Plus, you know, it's our job to make sure the customer is taken care of. Right. Yeah. So but we what we do is we make it work. We make them work as a team so that if the inside rep closes that job, the outside still gets his full commission. Oh, OK. So he's okay. not like, hey, if I don't sell it, then I'm not getting it. It's like, no, Got I'm going to do my best to try to close this. But if I don't, the guy has my back. And he's going to do all these things, you know, because sales reps like visionaries and other people, you know, that think big picture, they're not the most detail oriented. People. For sure. Yeah. They're just not. Mm -hmm. They're going to miss things on contracts. They're going to miss certain, you know, uh, key communication. They're, they're going to forget to notate their uh, CRM. And so things get missed. So having this approach is making sure that someone in-house checks all that box, uses the playbook, submits it and has a better process. And then. Hey, if the guy, you know, if he's able to follow up on it and close it, he works as a team. Mm -hmm. So it's like we, we put him in pods. Like one guy has uh, three outside reps. Okay. You know, okay. one guy has three outside reps and they work in pods. So we have three pods. Three pods. Okay. Yeah. And then so the inside person, do they get a commission? Yes. Yeah. Okay. They get a salary plus a, a commission. Okay. And the outside is still all commissioned. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a, that's actually a really good idea. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think How, what's the longest time it's taken to close a job that you've seen? Well, to close a job, I mean, there's there's people obviously we see and then, you know, they, they want to think about it and it, months, months go by. And yeah. so probably like over a year. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. There's jobs that are, you know, people call back and they, we were out there last year and mm -hmm. two years ago and they're ready to do it now. Yeah. Yeah. That happens with us. That too. happens. Pretty I often. literally closed a job two months ago and I hadn't ran an appointment for two years. <laughs> You know? I know. Yeah, I, I miss it. You know, sometimes I'm like, I want to kind of go out there, you know, especially with the new guys. I'm like, maybe I can go out there and uh, uh, dust the ring rust a little bit. And That's see, right. Because it was fun. I really enjoyed yeah. it. You know, I enjoyed yeah. talking to people and, you know, kind of like going on it out on that hunt, so to speak. That's what it felt like. That's right. That's right. Okay, man, this has been really inspiring. So I got two final questions. Um, so I end this with every podcast. So the first one, if you had to define success, what would your definition be?
for me, man, defining success would be to find your meaning and purpose in life. Mm-hmm. You know, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Short and sweet. And then number two, what are the three most critical things you believe someone needs to build a great business? Well, number one, we talked about it, you know, self-improvement, work on, work on yourself. Um, number two, surround yourself with great people, people who are good and where you're not, you know, mm-hmm. like find, find uh, the people who are strong and where you're weak. And then lastly, man, is just stay humble. Like just stay humble, stay hungry. Yep. I love it, man. Well, it's been a pleasure. Appreciate having you on, man. I look forward to you hitting $100 million. (laughs) Let's get it. Let's do it. Okay. All right. Thank you.